welcome to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. This podcast by Kevin Paneskis, also known as the Property Soldier, covers all aspects of serviced accommodation and how to make it a profitable and sustainable business. Kevin started investing in property in 1991 whilst serving in the British Army and now owns a multi-million pound property portfolio and serviced accommodation business and is a best-selling author. And now your host. Kevin Paneskis. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Service Accommodation Property Podcast. And on the line, I've got Camille. Say hi, Camille. Hi. And uh, Camille's asked if uh, we would do a a phone call, so a mentoring type call, and um, kindly agreed for it to be released as a uh, podcast. So Camille has sent me in some some questions in advance of the call, but uh, I said we'll just uh, play it by ear as we go through. So um, that's how it's going to roll. And so over to you, Camille. What uh, questions do you have for me with regards to service combination? Okay, well, I guess the the key question is, how would you accurately assess the current demand or, or stats for service accommodation in your sort of given gold mine area? So this is one of those ones where um, I'm afraid I can't be really specific about yeah. this question, and it's a it's a depends one. So there's a, there's a few things that we look at when I'm when I'm teaching people service accommodation. Everyone wants to know exactly where their gold mine area is or where's the nearest gold mine area, SA gold mine area to them. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things I, I suggest is that if you've got a town or city with a population of over seventy thousand, yeah. then that's that works all day long. There's going there's going to be enough demand for service accommodation in, in your town if you've got that sort of population. Um, and one of the things to look out for is, is hotels. You know, if you've got hotels there, I'm not talking necessarily about B&Bs, guest houses, but, you know, Premier Inns, those sorts of hotels. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? They've done a significant amount of market research in order to establish that there is demand for uh, short-term lets. Mm-hmm. And and so, therefore, you can piggyback onto that. One of the things mm-hmm. that um, you can do is is Google Hotel Futures Report. I knew it would come back to oh, okay. So you can Google a Hotel Futures Report, and that will give you the um, market research. Quite often, these hotels have, have done that research, and they, they place it online um, Right. For people just to cut for some reason, you can just go and get it. So that will give you lots of um, indicators as to short-term de- uh, lettings demand um, for that works just as well and as well for service accommodation. And then the other thing to look out for is the sorts of things that are creating demand for service accommodation in your area, and those things are, are building sites, um, industry, mm-hmm. large business you know, large mm-hmm. employers, city mm-hmm. centres, things like that. That's They're creating um, demand for service accommodation. Sporting mm-hmm. stadiums are another good one because okay, yeah. they, as well as obviously uh, doing football and rugby and, and all those type of things, cricket, you name it, um, they've also got large conference centres in them quite often. Okay, yeah. And they're, they're creating um, that demand for people coming from out of town into your town and they're going to need accommodating. Mm-hmm. Um, universities, hospitals, they're really good because mm-hmm. there's lots of graduations taking place in universities all the time. Oh, okay. And uh, 
quite often the family wants to come in on mass um, in, in order to get that photo with little <laughs> little Johnny with his you know cap etc. thrown it in the air, um, and they all need accommodating. And there's lots of graduations happening, and, and hospitals as well. Quite often, when people are having to stay in hospital for prolonged periods of time, mm-hmm. uh, you're you're a doctor yourself, did you say, Camille? Uh, that's right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Um, and so these these people that that the patients in for a long period of time and their mm. relatives were, are going to need somewhere to stay, in, and norm, quite often they end mm. up staying in hotels because with ASTs, you know, normal rentals from letting agents, etc. The minimum they can do is, is six months, mm. and so they, yeah, you you could actually have um, an arrangement with your local letting agent to let you know when somebody needs accommodating for a shorter period than six months because okay. you can have a referral fee in place for them mm. to help you out. Another good uh, person to to get in touch with is is a, a, a risk assessor. Or claims advisor when there's um you know floods and fires and and damage mm. when people need to move out and and stay in temporary accommodation quite often they go to letting agents and letting agents say no sorry I can only do six months for you mm. and those those people could be a really good point of contact to push bookings in your direction yeah and then you know with hospitals and any business any any business any company you you want to be um, known. To the person whose whose responsibility it is to to book accommodation for visiting guests, clients, employees, mm. etc. Okay. So then that that be some good good tips to, um, okay, to great. work out the the demand for or where there is demand for service accommodation in your town. And then there are some towns that the population size is less than seventy thousand, you know, but <laughs> they they sometimes towns like that have. A uh, disproportionate number of things that create demand. If if you understand what I'm where I'm going yeah. at, so it, it's worth getting onto Google and and looking up large employers in in said town mm-hmm. um, and and all of that market research. Go onto Wikipedia. That gives you mm-hmm. lots of information about a, a town and things that you might not have considered or realised um, information about a town. Okay. So does that that help? That's really helpful. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I guess the other thing I would ask, because I've heard of a couple of sites called Air DNA and uh, All the Rooms, I think. Have you, uh, is, that, is that good data to use in your experience, or you tend to rely on all this other stuff rather than looking at? Uh, yeah, Air DNA, kind of, that's that. Air DNA um, and the, uh, different sites like this, they, yeah. they don't give you the full picture, mm-hmm. if you like. So Air, Air DNA, they're looking at mm-hmm. HomeAway and Airbnb, mm-hmm. I believe. Okay. Um, and again, you can be missing out on lots of data from the other online travel agents and, and booking.com are, are the largest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's no, not yet, not that I'm yeah. aware of, there isn't any anything that's going to give you an X marks the spot in terms of sure. what type of property works 100% perfectly for service combination and where. Okay. It'd be nice if if it did, but you know what? If it was that easy, everyone would be doing it, right? Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's great. So I guess sort of the next couple of questions really be would be. Uh, I appreciate that you might need slightly different types of accommodation in different areas, but um, I guess would you generally would it always have to be a self-contained flat, or could you run something a bit like an HMO setup? So you've got maybe ensuite facilities, but a shared kitchen. Does that sort of 
work um, or, or just depends on what the specific area needs or does it have to be a self-contained unit? Yeah, so there's lots of there's lots of um, moving parts in, in what, what you just said. Mm. I'll, I'll try and sort of break it down a bit. Okay. The two different types of property, um, main two different types of property are flats and, and houses, clearly. Mm-hmm. I actually yeah. prefer the houses because there are no block management companies for houses mm-hmm. and they're typically, you know, most known, typically mm-hmm. freehold and so there's no lease restrictions. Mm-hmm. Um, you might look at things like Covenant, which can come into play in, in the use of mm-hmm. house, but uh, it's normally you've, you've got a, a pretty free reign with a house in terms of using mm-hmm. it for short-term letting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with apartments, then it comes down to checking the lease to see whether or not the lease allows service accommodation. And a lot of times people see it, the lease says uh, no business use and they they think that that, you know, um, Mm -hmm. prevents SA, but actually it's more don't use it for a motorbike repair shop, you know, more what they're talking about or or making your sandwiches for, you know, large scale sandwich uh, making operations, things like that. So, um, Actually, for it to not allow service combination, it has to be more specific than that. Too. And because uh, furnished holiday lets, you know, holiday lets, they are someone's principal or secondary residence, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's mainly what you're going to be using it as. As far as HMRC mm-hmm. is concerned, it's going to be uh, holiday lets. Mm-hmm. So the lease needs to say something like to prohibit SA, no short term lettings or owner occupier only or owner occupier AST, six month AST tenants only, those types of things, over 55s only, those sorts of things can appear yeah. on the list. Um, okay. Outside of that, it can be open to interpretation. Now, here's where the block management companies come in, because sometimes they can actually interpret it their way, and mm-hmm. they would rather people aren't doing SA in the block, mm-hmm. let's face it, they would rather, yeah. and, unless they knew that you were a really good operator and that you were, had lots of checks and balances and mm-hmm. um in place in order to prevent, you know, parties and one, you know, one night stays normally cause those. Mm-hmm. And unless they knew that you were you were running a tight ship, they they wouldn't invite usually people in who they don't know to come and do service accommodation. So they will interpret the lease their way. That's one of the reasons why I prefer the houses. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're allowed to do SA, then you're allowed to do SA. The the block management company, you know, can't legally stop you doing it. But it just comes down to that. I'd much rather have a uh, block management company on side than not. You know, mm-hmm. so one of the things to check in in the block is is anyone else doing it in the block? Uh, mm-hmm. Click on Airbnb, look at com, okay. and that will give you that. Um, if there are check different months, different uh, weeks, etc. Sometimes they won't be visible if they are blocked out mm-hmm. or booked. <clears throat> um, have a look around the the building and the car parks for the uh, key box. Um, okay. Key boxes, they're a bit of a giveaway in terms of when people are doing SA. Okay. Um, They quite often don't put them in the communal hallways because Mm -hmm. that's um, damaging the communal area. So they quite often put, SA operators put them in car parks, in in the car park, et cetera, against the uh, the door. Um, So that's something to look out for. Is it happening um, there? That's, so I've talked about the lease, I've talked about block management companies. Now, the other thing that you mentioned was, can you do this and can you do that? And, and then mm-hmm. that comes down to planning. Mm-hmm. So if I can just explain that, um, if you're doing whole house, I call it whole house SA or whole house mm-hmm. 
um, or whole apartment essay, mm-hmm. then the appropriate use class for that is, is C3, or the most appropriate use class for that is C3. Okay. C3 is where you know, most people live. Okay. Yeah. So that is your primary or secondary residence. Mm-hmm. Now, when you, you mentioned sort of HMO type scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a H- HMO, it has to be somebody's residence, full-time mm-hmm. residence. It cannot be a secondary residence. Okay. And so people are, are going to be living in a HMO on a minimum of a six-month tenancy. Mm-hmm. And also with a HMO, they um, they are not all part of the same group. They are not part of the same family unit. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that's pretty much the HMO sits inside the housing app. And the specific use class for HMO is C4. Yeah. And then a larger HMO, is it, they, it, they can put it under sui generis, um, okay, which yeah, is sort yeah. of, you know, uh, yeah, a specific way a property is being used, but they will just mm-hmm. um, list it as a, as a very large HMO. Mm-hmm. And so what people get confused with is can they use a HMO and, and, and let that out by the room as SA? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in terms of planning, no, um, you're not allowed to do that because mm-hmm. you're, you're not using the right use class of the property. Mm-hmm. In order to do that, to let out a property by the room as SA to strangers, you know, people that don't mm-hmm. know each other, et cetera, um, you would really need to see one use class because mm-hmm. you're actually getting into more guest house and B&B territory. Mm-hmm. Now, again, with all this, it does depend <laughs> uh, because a lot of um, different councils will interpret things differently. So we've got HMOs mm-hmm. and, and actually we, we spoke to our local council about this and they said that they wouldn't ask us to do a change of use. Mm-hmm. to start using the, the rooms out individually, as I say, which was mm-hmm. surprising, but it just goes to show that sometimes they will do that. And it probably comes down to whether or not they've got a shortage of hotel beds in the town, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe too many HMOs. Mm-hmm. And that, that can be the case in some towns. Mm-hmm. So it's worth asking whether or not you need planning permission or not. Mm-hmm. So that's the three use classes. You've got C3, which is whole house SA or whole yep. apartment SA. You've got you know, mm-hmm. HMO, which is C4, which we can't do SA in, or you mm-hmm. shouldn't do without permission. And then you've mm-hmm. got SA by the room, which mm-hmm. is our guest house or B&B, and the, the appropriate use class for that would be C1. Okay, great. And then I guess sort of along the similar lines, I guess if you had these sort of a property and there were ensuite rooms, but there was no cooking facilities, then I guess that's more akin to a hotel or a guest house, really. And I guess that would then would that fall under more of a C1 use class based on that? Yeah, well, there is a, I mean, one of the things that we're doing at the moment is we mm-hmm. are acquiring guest houses and B&Bs, mm-hmm. and, and we are turning them in, into, lots of people are calling them different things, but uh, for want of a better description, an apart hotel mm-hmm. where you are turning each room into a studio room. Mm-hmm. So it, it, what you can do is, if it doesn't already have it, um, you know, have it as ensuite and put a little yeah. kitchenette in. And you have to do this in co- with consultation with your yeah. local town planners and building regs. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're each, again, everything comes up under interpretation. So, so, they, you all have to be on the same page, if you mm-hmm. like. And so some some people in certain areas are able to put more substantive kitchenettes in than 
substantial kitchenettes in than, mm-hmm. than others. Some others mm-hmm. are only managing to put a microwave and a sink in you, um, because it's mm-hmm. down to the local uh, planners and the, the building yeah. regs um, in the local town. And mm-hmm. so that's something that can be done. And but again, the, the appropriate use class would be C1 for mm-hmm. that. And therefore, you don't need the owner's accommodation. Um, yeah. You don't need anything like as much accommodation for the owners mm-hmm. um, in order to do it as an mm-hmm. apart hotel. So you might have a, a small room that you could use for a concierge that stays 24-7 mm-hmm. in there. That would be fine. Yeah. Um, but ultimately now what you don't need is the, the kitchen, the, mm-hmm. the full owner's accommodation, the dining room, the lounge. You don't need all that. And mm-hmm. you can convert that into studio rooms too. Okay, yeah. And yeah. you can significantly increase the the earning uh, potential of the property, mm-hmm. therefore significantly increase mm-hmm. the commercial value mm-hmm. and and then refinance against the new commercial value once you've been trading for the requisite, you know, what you know, might be a year, quite often two years trading for that period of time, mm-hmm. you can then refinance and, and pull out mm-hmm. a significant chunk of, of your initial investment. Mm-hmm. Um so, so that's an exciting one because yeah. there's an awful lot of guest houses and B&Bs that you can acquire cheaply because the owners have suppressed the, the value of the property by not declaring mm-hmm. the income <laughs> or, or they've only been trading and, and keep only doing a few rooms and, and they've only, you know, one, one that we're acquiring at the moment is only, um, it's been keeping below the back threshold. Wow. And, um, and so ultimately, once once we make the alterations to the property and then declare all the new increased income, we'll be able to refinance and, and pull out a significant chunk of, of, of cash from that property and and be cash flowing very nicely indeed. So that's that's another strategy that SA has, has got up its sleeve, yeah. um, and one that I'm pretty excited about. And yeah. you're coming on you're coming on our training um, in when did you say February? Uh, February, yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we'll we'll talk more about that on on the training be, course because no, that's, um, great that's that's yeah. something that um, there's 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 pretty much a strategy that every single person can get into, whether it be mm-hmm. rent to SA, purchase to SA, buy to let conversion to SA, or buying hotels into SA. I mean, let's let's just well, let's go for it. That, you know, that's actually something that I've sort of tried to look at, but you know, without sort of the, the training, if you like. And knowing what I don't know, um, I just couldn't quite figure out how to make it work. But it always struck me as an idea because I've seen, particularly in some areas, they, you know, the uh, price per square foot is significantly cheaper than an equivalent residential building in that same area. And as you say, you've got the dining room, you've got the owner's accommodation. And I figured, you know, one could always make that into room. So it's interesting to hear you say that and think, you know, okay, so the, the idea is correct. There's obviously the execution that's going to yeah. be crucial. Well, it's actually quite a, quite a cool loophole, really, if you like, mm. because you can create a win-win situation for the owners who, let's face it, are pretty, they're often stuck. They thought in their 50s and 60s that it would be a good idea to go get a, guest house and B&B, mm. and then um, working seven days a week, 365 days a year, it becomes less appealing. <laughs> Doing early doors, cleaning all day, checking yeah. for people in who've lost their keys and, and letting people in last thing at night and, and yeah. never getting a day off. Um, yeah. And so the, the problem is they, they then think, oh, I'm, I want out of this situation now, but they try and sell and can't. So let's say they, they bought it for cash or they, they, they bought it with a, a sort of 
mortgage that allows them to live in it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's fine. But the commercial value is is Mm -hmm. pretty low because they haven't been declaring their accounts. Yeah. Or they've only been trading below a certain amount. And and so people can't buy it with a commercial loan because Mm -hmm. of the EBITDA, Mm -hmm. um, the earnings uh, before interest tax, uh, amortization, uh, yeah. Amortization and yeah. depreciation, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, because of that, the, um, the the commercial lenders will only lend them a tiny amount based on on, on what it's declaring. So, so people mm-hmm. can't buy them very easily with a commercial loan, mm-hmm. and people can't buy them with a residential mortgage either because <laughs> it's a C one mm-hmm. property, yeah, and and it's you know it it, it breaches the the normal lenders. Um, in terms of what type of property can be bought with a, a normal uh, residential mortgage. So they find themselves mm. in a very sticky situation wanting mm. to get out. And, and if you um, armed with certain knowledge, you can actually go and acquire these properties. Um, there's lots of different ways. You can even acquire them on a lease option, mm. uh, exchange with a delayed completion, completion um, buying it with a, a, a bridging loan, essentially, mm. which isn't too expensive, but it, mm. it's a bridge the let type loan, which once you provide the trading accounts, you can then just replace it with a normal commercial loan. And as long as the the, the numbers stack up, then then they stack up. So there's lots of different mm. ways of doing it that actually untrained people wouldn't have the first clue how mm. to do it. And therefore, these properties are sat there just just begging for somebody to come along with some knowledge and some skills to go and mm. get them and, and turn them into just a, a part hotels. That's great. And I, I presume, and I appreciate it may depend on each council, but these sort of studio rooms with kitchenettes, they can actually be smaller than would be, I think it's 37 square meters that you require for a residential single dwelling. Um, I, I think off the top of my head, I'd have to double check that. But presumably these studio rooms can be smaller than than that because it's a yeah, short term. Yeah, come under the residential yeah. um, square footage minimum mm. criteria um, as long as it adheres to the um, housing health and safety rating system yeah it's it's fine so as long as it, uh, the building regs guy signs it off it's all good um the kitchenette can literally just be a if you if you google elfin kitchens yeah you'll see the sort of things i mean um yeah. a, a sink tiny little sink and um it can can be a hob can be a cooker, can be a microwave. It depends on building rigs, um, how extensive it is. But ultimately, you're just going to be allowing people to cook for themselves in their own little studio room. When I say little, I mean, it might be bigger, but as long as it's on screen, yeah. can, can yeah. be a sing, single bed. Um, but uh, yeah, absolutely. There's no minimum uh, room size. Okay, great. Um, could you just explain to me the 90-day rule in, for London in, in practical terms? Sure. The 90-day rule in London is that, is, is that where you're going to be operating, Camille? Um, well, I'm based in Oxford, um, so I suspect uh, it's pro- I've sort of have invested in London in the past, and I've lived in both cities, so and I've come across an interesting deal in central London, uh, which um, uh, is one thing I'm looking at at the moment. So, yes, yeah, so there's a potential there. Okay. So the 90-day rule in London is in a calendar year, you are allowed to do up to 90 days worth of short-term lettings in London. Mm-hmm. Now, so that means 
on on Airbnb, mm-hmm. you will start off on the calendar year, um, mm-hmm. and you put your own you know, listing, your own property on Airbnb, and you'll start yeah. off with 90 on your listing on this 1st of January. And as soon as you get a two-day booking, then that will drop down to 88. Mm-hmm. And once you've got down to zero, then no one can book you via Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality of the situation in London is that um, most people are exceeding the 90-day rule because it's mm-hmm. only Airbnb that's counting. So when people are listing on other platforms like Booking.com, yeah. even though they've used up the 90 days, then people are still booking Mm-hmm. via the other platforms, TripAdvisor, Late Rooms, Expedia, HomeAway, you name it, there's loads. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, the other reason I think that people are exceeding it, and by the way, you don't have to. You can, mm-hmm. If you go do some extra yards, and we're going to teach you on the training um, yeah. more in detail about this, you, mm-hmm. can, you can be approaching local companies and local businesses and actually be offering those people longer than 90 days stays in your property. Yeah. And if that happens, you are not exceeding the 90-day rule. Okay. So let's say you've got a, you know, a firm, a company that's yeah. coming in and they're going to be you know, re- refitting the local uh, shopping centre and, and things yeah. like that. They're going to need accommodation for their contractors for a long period of time. And you could mm-hmm. you could reflect a, a night rate that's a lot cheaper than the normal one and two night stay night rate, mm-hmm. um, yeah. in order to make it worth their while to take you for longer than ninety days, mm-hmm. and actually you'll make a lot more money than the short stays mm-hmm. because you're not going to have any voids, and all you do is you send cleaners in once a week. So that's just one of the things yeah. you know that you can do to incentivize the longer than ninety day bookings, and and if you do that, you're not going to be in breach of the ninety day rule. So again, one of the reasons why people are, are let's face it, breaching the 90-day rule is because actually, from from experience and what I what, from what I gather, if people are found out or suspected of of breaching mm-hmm. the 90-day rule, because it's it's very 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 hard for the local council to to actually know whether they are, because they're not Booking.com, Airbnb, and all the other OTAs are not going to share all their you know yeah. information with precious data, yeah. council, you know. Um, and so if they are suspected an operator and they tell the operator to stop, if the operator stops, then that's pretty much the end of it. Uh, the only thing I'm aware of where anyone's actually got into trouble is if they don't stop and they get taken to court and yeah. they prove that they're breaching it, then um, then they will get fined. But that would be pretty mm-hmm. pretty daft to go down that route. Um, yeah. But actually, but I, I just go back to the point that you don't need to exceed the 90-day rule if you go and if you do some some hard yard. You know, the, the, mm. the extra yards involved in getting direct bookings from local companies, businesses, or contractors coming in from out of town. That's going mm. to uh, actually make you a lot more money because all you do is you send in the cleaners to do a weekly clean, then and mm-hmm. they change the bedding and, and towels, mm-hmm. and quick wipe round, and and that's. That's it done, and okay, you've yeah. still got ninety days legitimately ninety days of short term lettings where you could have your night rate at a mm-hmm. decent amount um in order to to make a, you know the demand i mean there's eighty thousand um, people doing service combination in London mm-hmm. and there's plenty of demand there, and it just keeps going up and up and up so um mm-hmm. yeah i i hopefully hopefully that helps yeah that's really great, yeah. You've actually answered uh, some of the further questions that I had um, in the previous, uh, in any case. So um, I guess 
the only other question would be, um, where do you see the, the future of, of SA in terms of demand regulation and supply? I think it's inevitable that service coordination will end up being regulated. And, but I don't think that these things don't tend to happen very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's extremely overdue that HMOs are now properly regulated. They, they should have come in years and years and years ago. Let's face it, these where people live. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had road landlords galore. Mm-hmm. But now there's, you know, mandatory licensing. Um, mm-hmm. There's quite a lot of Article 4 where you need planning permission mm-hmm. in order to do it. And so that's that's well overdue. And so mm-hmm. the licensing, will, you know, if for people to get a HMO license, they've got to obviously pass the tests and adhere to the, the uh, licensing regulation. Mm-hmm. And so that's likely to come in, in in the future with SA. How how quickly it happens, who knows? Let's face it, who knows? But I don't mm-hmm. think it's, I think it's years away yet. Yeah. Just because of how slowly these things tend to move. But actually I don't, I don't worry about it too much because I think it will take out a lot of the competition. Mm. As long as you are running a tight ship, then you're mm. going to be granted that license. Mm. And again, on, on the training, we'll teach you all the different compliance that you need to know um, and everything you have to, have, to, have to adhere to in order to future-proof your service accommodation business. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I, I welcome licensing when it comes in the future, will there be um, a specific use class for service combination or holiday lets? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, likely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's likely to happen at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Again, one of, one of the things that um, I, I, I tell to reassure people is if you want to predict the future, just look at what's happened in the past. Yeah. And what happens is people get grandfather rights. So, you know, we guess that was yeah. me and me when they decided you know, you need specific use classes and you need a license. They gave people grandfather rights, those that were already doing it, mm. as long as they still um, met the health and safety sort of regulations. And the same with HMO. And so mm. it's likely the same will happen with SA. So, so I actually just get in now, yeah, get operating, get yourself up and running. And so if and when it comes in in the future, you'll just get grandfather rights and, and you'll be fine. Great. Okay. And then any future people then after the regulation comes in, they've just got to go through the normal procedure to get the relevant planning or to get the relevant license in place. Okay, great. Okay, Kamal. Well, okay, that's hopefully been, you found been that helpful. useful. And yes. all the listeners found that useful too. And so as I always finish the podcast, here's to your success in service accommodation. Thanks for listening to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. Why not also check out my website, www.propertysoldier.co.uk, where you can learn more about property and serviced accommodation.